Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is up on a mountain. He's overlooking Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem and I've been out on the outskirts and looked at Jerusalem from a distance. And in chapter 23, verse number 37, it says where Jesus said, and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, the letters are in red. It says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. You read John chapter 11, and you find that he was at the grave of Lazarus. And in verse 35 there, it says, Jesus wept. It says in the Bible also that if somebody had written all of the things about the Lord Jesus that should be written, then the world could not contain the whole of that which should be written. I do not believe that's the first time Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. I can picture Jesus overlooking Jerusalem and as he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I believe he said it with conviction and with a broken heart. I believe that he even still weeps. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that when you and I get backslidden, our Savior weeps. I believe that when we're not doing what we should do, that our Savior weeps. I believe when he looks down and sees so many people rejecting him, I believe that the Lord weeps. I want to preach on a subject that I think will hopefully will be a help to you tonight. And so let's start with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I ask you tonight to help me as I preach. And I pray, Lord, that you would quiet every, every heart. And may each of us in our hearts be happy to say in our hearts as we leave that it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord tonight. Just singing the wonderful songs that we just sang ought to make us glad that we came. But when we hear the Word of God preached, it ought to also make us glad that we came. When we see our friends that we can fellowship with, it ought to make us glad that we came. There's a lot of reasons, Lord, that we ought to be glad we came, Lord, but most of all, we're glad that you're with us and you're here. I pray that you would speak to every heart. If there's somebody here that's never been born again, I pray that tonight would be that day or night of all nights when they would repent of their sin and trust you as their very own personal Savior. Lord, anyone here tonight that's backslidden away from you, I pray that you would convict them tonight. May they get things right with you and go out of this building tonight with a good relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you meet all of our spiritual needs tonight for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1934, I believe it was, there was a fellow that most of you have heard of named John R. Rice that began a paper called The Sword of the Lord. How many of you have ever heard of The 
Sword of the Lord, all right? Most of you have. If you haven't, it's a good paper and you ought to get a copy and read it and has some great sermons in it every week and every two weeks actually is put out now. But John R. Rice, before he became the editor of the Sword of the Lord, back in when he started in 1934, he was an evangelist in southern Texas and also northern Texas and probably a few other states. And he was having tremendous results. I mean, people were coming down the altar and getting saved and people were coming to the altar and getting things right with God. God was really blessing John R. Rice. However, he had a problem. He uh, would weep every message that he preached. He'd just weep and cry. And he got embarrassed about his tears. And so one day he got on his knees and he began to pray and he said, oh God, I'm making a fool out of myself every time I preach. Lord, would you take my tears away? And God answered his prayer, took his tears away. He was still out preaching revivals and however, when the invitation was given, very few people were ever coming to the altar. Very few people were getting saved. He got so burdened about that that he got back on his knees again after a period of time and he said, Lord, if I've got to have tears in order for you to use me, give me my tears back. Lord, I'm sorry for asking you to take them away, but I want to have results when I preach. And so God gave him his tears back and souls started getting saved in numbers again. People started coming to the altar in numbers again and God started using John R. Rice in a great way. Year after year after year after year. In 1972, I started a church in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Actually, your pastor's wife was just a little girl. And how old were you in 72? Five years old. And I would take her out knocking on doors. And I know at least one block, I had her knocking on doors and hanging door hangers on one side of the street. And every house I'd come out of, I'd check and we'd go to the next door together and go down the block. We handed out a lot of flyers. But God blessed on our first Sunday in Wisconsin with 46 in attendance. Now that is unheard of in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is known as the graveyard of preachers. Now I was green. I just came from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin where I'd been two years and eight months. I did not start that church there. It had six people there when I went. And I didn't know anything about building a church because when I took that church I was only saved for two weeks. And then I started pastoring Bible Baptist Church in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I did know how to knock on doors. And I did knock on doors and God blessed, and I was only 22 years old at the time, and uh, God blessed our church and it began to grow and people were coming to church. And and, uh, to tell you the truth, if I'd have been 25 or 30 years old back in those days and was looking for a church, I wouldn't have joined my church. I'm not going to be in a church with a 22-year-old 
whippersnapper like me as a pastor. I wondered why anybody came. But God really blessed our church. And, but when I went to Sheboygan, God gave us a great attendance that first day. And then the church began to grow some. And in January, we had a big Sunday and had a tremendous attendance. Actually, it was 180 in Sunday school that day. Weren't averaging that, but we had a special Sunday. And, but I saw an ad in the Sword of the Lord that said that they were going to have a Sword of the Lord conference in Watertown, Wisconsin. Uh, actually, uh, uh, water, where Maranatha Baptist Bible College is. And I thought, man, I need all the help I can get. I'm going to go to that conference and see if there's something I can get out of that conference that will help me in my life to be a better preacher. So I went to that conference, that preaching conference, and uh, <clears throat> there were, was an auditorium. It was bigger than this, I believe. It seat about, I think, about 1,000 people at Calvary Baptist Church there. And there were a couple hundred preachers there that night, that first night of the, this, this meeting. And they were scattered all over the place. And when I got there, I sat back about in the auditorium about where that guy in the blue shirt is, and Dr. Cedarholm, the president of Baptist Bible College, came up and talked to me. And he said, Roger, after the services tonight, would you come over to my house for some fellowship? And I said, well, I'd be honored to, Dr. Cedarholm. Now, I figured there's a couple of hundred preachers there. He probably invited 50 to 100 of them over to his house. And I was just one of the multitude of preachers that he was inviting over there. So after the services were over that night, I went out, got in my car, and drove over to Dr. Cedarholm's home. And I thought, man, I must be early or what? There's not any other cars around here. And so I parked my car, and I went up to the door, knocked on the door. They opened the door and asked me to come in. And there was Dr. Cedarholm and Mrs. Cedarholm. There was Dr. Jack Hiles and Dr. John R. Rice, Dr. Chelly, a missionary to India, and me. And I thought, what in the world am I doing here? I really felt like a fish in the wrong pond. I, I really, man, I was, I thought, good night in the morning. I was only 26 years old, didn't hardly know what I was doing, and there I am with all of these big shot preachers and so on, and, and they invited me over there to their place that, that night, and I thought, man, this is amazing, amazing. They said, okay, let's go into the dining room. We went into the dining room. I've always wondered what important people ate, you know? I really did, because I, and, and sat down there. You know what? They eat the same thing we eat. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, and so I went in there and sat down and we had some refreshments in the living room, in the dining room, excuse me. And uh, then when we got all done, we went up, got up and went into the living room. And John R. Rice, he was 78 years old at the time. He came over and put his hands on my shoulders and led me right over near the baby grand piano that was in the Cedar Holmes home. He said, stand right here, Roger. Mrs. Cedarholm, and he pulled out this 
song out of his pocket and handed it to her and said, play this song. Now, John R. Rice wrote that song that she played. She began to play that song and John R. Rice was standing like three feet from me and he says, so little time, the harvest will be over. Our reaping done, we reapers taken home. Report our work to Jesus, Lord of harvest. And hope he'll smile and that he'll say well done. Today we reap or miss our golden harvest. Today is given us lost souls to win. Oh, then to save some dear ones from the burning. Today we'll go to bring some sinner in. All the time that he was singing that song to me, big old crocodile tears were running down his face. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Amen. He was 78 years old at the time. He probably figured he didn't have very much time left. He lived to be 85. I'm 75. I probably do not have much time left either. I have asked God to let me live until all of my grandkids get saved. There's only there's one of them not saved. She's only six years old right now. And then all of my 26 grandkids surrender their life totally to the Lord to do whatever God wants them to do Amen. and serve God. God's blessed so far. We have three that are out of Bible college. We have seven in Bible college right now and 16 more coming along. We pray that God will use all of them in a great way. You know what the Bible says? It says in Psalm chapter 126, verse five and six, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We read that verse and probably most of you could quote it by heart. But in our heart and in our mind, we leave out part of that verse. We read, he that goeth forth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. But one of the most important parts of that verse is weepeth. He that goeth forth and weepeth Amen. shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, do you know, I have a friend that I met when I was in El Paso, Texas in 1984. I started a church there in El Paso, Texas. 
One of my best friends there was a guy named Dr. Carlos Demarest. Most of you probably never heard of him. Have any of you ever heard of him? None of you have ever heard of him. He was my soul winning buddy. He was with Bearing Precious Seed at the time and they had a little headquarters place there in El Paso. And he and I would go soul winning about twice every week when he was in town. One thing about Carlos Demarest is every time he talked to anybody, his eyes were always watering about the Lord when he talked to the people about the Lord. We'd go to the barber shop together. And if I was in the barber chair, he was talking to all the people in the barber, barber place there trying to win somebody to the Lord Jesus. If we were outside between the car and the, and the barber shop, he was trying to find somebody that's walking around or wasn't doing nothing so he could go up and talk to them about the Lord. Amen. Never saw anybody that was so soul conscious as Dr. Carlos Demarest. Oh, how we ought to think about people when we run into them, when we pass them by and so on, that there is a soul, that's a soul for whom Jesus died. I went to Africa several years ago on a missions trip to Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And we, I landed at Abidjan. A missionary picked me up and we started driving about 350 miles almost to the Liberian border to um, uh, get to the place where his mission was, where he was serving the Lord. Started down the highway and it was a two-lane highway and there were people walking down both sides of the road. One side this way and the other side the other way. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people, but we just by driving by, because a lot of people didn't have cars and they would walk from town to town. And I watched him for a little while and then I said to our missionary, I said, do you know that every one of those people is a soul for whom Jesus died? Amen. And um, then we drove on at about another 10 miles or 15 miles down the road God began to speak to my heart and he said, Roger, you hypocrite, you've been in America all of these years and you've pastored all these years and you never one time as you were driving down the streets in America pointed at the other cars and said, all of those people are a soul for whom Jesus died. Why is it, Roger Betrell, that you care whether these people in Africa go to hell or not, but you don't care whether the people in America go to hell or not? Oh, how we need to be conscious of souls, and oh, how we need to weep when we want to win somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what happens to people that aren't saved? Then shall I say to them on the left hand, depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 9, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter a life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Revelation 20, 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Oh, how we need to keep it in our mind that people that die without Christ are gonna go to hell and be there forever and ever and ever. There's no escape from it once they're there. He says in John 5, he that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. You know, We need to have some compassion for souls. We need to care whether people go to hell or not. I uh, started pastoring in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin in 1969. I was there just a short time, just a couple of months, and a preacher called me. His name was Larry Stringfield. And he said, preacher, I'm a missionary going to Africa to Kenya, Africa, actually. But I cannot go out and raise support until I work for a church one year. Could I come and work at your church for a year? And you don't even have to pay me. I'll work for nothing. I thought, man, the price is right. (laughs) We kept talking, and I said, well, come on up here, Larry. Larry Stringfield came up and worked for me for a year. It was a joy having Larry work with me that year and so on. And after the year was over, though, he said, well, preacher, I've been here a year. Now I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Arizona and get married. And then I'm going to go out on deputation and raise my support. And then I'm going to go to Africa. The only problem is, is that Larry Stringfield had a problem. His problem was, is that he was very, very big. Actually, he was fat. And not only that, he was scared of bugs. Can you imagine somebody going to Africa as a missionary that every time he sees a bug, you know, I mean, that's the way he acted there in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, when he saw a bug or a mouse or something. And I thought, man. So he went to Arizona and he married a lady there that was the same size as he was. And I thought, good night. He's going to take four years to raise his support. He's going to go to Africa. Then he's going to see a bug. 
and he's going to be there a month or so, and then he's going to come back to the United States and say, I just couldn't handle it. I just, just couldn't handle it. He was also just a little bit effeminate in the way he acted. You know, he's, he's never going to do anything in Africa. Roger Bottrell, you're going to waste your money if you support him and help send him to Africa. For four years, you'll support him while he's raising support, and then, then you'll support him while he's getting over there, and then he's going to come back to America and be, be all that wasted money. And so I didn't support him. So Larry Stringfield took him four years, just like I said, to raise his support. Long time going from church to church to church to church to church to raise enough support to get to Africa. He got his support raised after four years and he went to Africa. I thought, well, I'll hear in a month or two about him coming back. He did go to Africa, but after four years, he came back on uh, furlough and he uh, called me on the telephone. He says, Brother Bacho, could I come by and give a report and show you what I've been doing in Africa? And I said, sure, Larry, come on by. And I thought, this will be good. He gets to our church. And I sit on the front row right down about that area. And back then they showed slides. They didn't have DVDs like they do today. And he put his slides on, started showing the slides. He started showing slides about him baptizing people that he had won to Christ in rivers that were infested, known to have, be full of uh, black mambas, which is the most poisonous snake in Africa. And I sat on the front seat right there, and I just wept. I said, Roger, you, you stupid idiot. You stupid idiot. You've missed out on all the blessings that could have been added to your account if you'd have just supported that guy. Do you know that on his first trip over there, he started four churches? Amen. No missionary ever does that. Not even good missionaries do that. I was amazed. And I sat on that front seat and I wept. And God spoke to my heart. And he says, you know what your problem is, Roger Buttrell? You don't read the Bible. Because the Bible says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Amen. And oh, how we need to have a compassion for souls, like Larry Stringfield had a compassion for souls. Even though he had some things working against him, he led a whole bunch of those Africans to Christ and you can hardly talk to any missionary that has been in northern Africa for the last 20 or 30 years that didn't know Larry Stringfield. Do you know how long since you've shed a tear for a lost one? Oh, you'd like to, you'd like to win your mama to Christ. You'd like to win your cousin to the Lord. You'd like to win your uncle to Christ. You have some family member you'd like to win to the Lord. But let me ask you something. How many tears have you shed for that loved one? How many times have you gone to them with tears running down your face? It's, oh, mama, you got to get saved. 
How many tears have you shed? He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. How many tears have you shed for your lost loved ones? You raise your hand in church, hey preacher, pray for my so-and-so relative that's lost, they're on their way to hell. And you haven't shed one tear for them yet? Why should we pray for them? When you don't even care enough to shed a tear. He said, well, preacher, God didn't make me that way. I just don't cry. You see them being thrown into hell one of these days and you'll weep. Oh, listen. God said every jot and every tittle of the word of God is his word. And he put that there for a purpose. That do you know that tears touch people's hearts? When they're real. Now, we ought not to be manufacturing tears when we're talking to somebody. I read, a, I read a, another preacher's uh, sermon notes one time. And it said, yell here. And then it said, cry here. And I thought, what? Yell here, cry here, and so on? Had it right in his notes. Listen, whenever you're talking to somebody about the Lord, if God doesn't give you tears, forget about the tears. If God doesn't break your heart, forget about it. In fact, you're almost wasting your time. You go soul winning, you don't care whether they go to hell or not. If you don't have a broken heart for lost people, you'll hardly ever win anybody. But if you have a broken heart for lost people, then God will lead you to people that are looking for the Lord and you'll be able to win, win them to the Lord. Let me just say, folks, one of our biggest problems in life is we don't depend upon what the Bible tells us to depend upon when we're out soul winning, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. You remember that fellow that was preaching this revival and having great results, and his name was Philip in the New Testament. He was preaching a revival and boy, God was really blessing. And God said, hey, Philip, go down the way that goes toward Gaza. Now, I don't know whether he ever even got to Gaza or not. I don't believe the Bible tells us that he ever got to Gaza, but he said, go toward Gaza. And as he was going, he gets out in the desert and he looks over there and God says, go talk to that guy in that chariot. Now, I don't know how far away he was, But it must have been far enough away that Philip couldn't tell what he was reading or what he was doing in the chariot. But he went over to that chariot and he looked up at him and saw that he was reading. And he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And and that Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? And Philip hopped up into the chariot and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And that uh, Ethiopian eunuch got saved that day. And you know why he got saved? Because Philip listened to the Holy Spirit of God. That's why. It wasn't because Philip was such a great soul winner. It's because he listened to God. We could talk from now until midnight, until my time's up. And I could tell you illustration after illustration after illustration of people that God helped me to win to the Lord Jesus Christ, not because I'm a great guy, because I'm not a great guy, but it's because I've learned to try to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. 
And he has led me to person after person after person after person. And I was down in uh, Pocahontas, Arkansas. My mother-in-law passed away. She was 95. My wife and I and my daughter had to go down there and help take care of my mother-in-law's stuff after she passed away. And uh, we get in town, and I believe that you ought to try to live for the Lord wherever you happen to be. And we found a little independent Baptist church there in Pocahontas, Arkansas, and we went to it, and they had about, about three or four people in the church, the pastor and his wife and a couple of other people. And I thought, man, I wonder how long this church has been going. It had been going several years. And I thought, I talked to the preacher after church, and I said, man, uh, this all you got, just these people? And he said, yeah. And I said, you want to know how to get some more? And he said, well, how? And I said, let's go out and I'll show you how. So I got him in my car and we drove out. And a couple of days before that, I had been in a, uh, in a, in a store. Now, I had, it was one of these stores where you rent furniture. You seen them around? Now, if you rent furniture, you're stupid. <laughs> you pay three or four times what the, what the furniture's worth. Now, I wasn't there to rent furniture. I was just kind of killing time. My wife was doing all the work on the house and I was just out, you know, just, just teasing. And uh, so anyway, I go in there and just messing around and the Holy Spirit said, see that guy over there? And there was a salesman way across the store says, you need to go talk to him. I said, okay, Lord. So I went over there and started talking to him and he was a very friendly guy. And uh, it wasn't for just a little bit and I found out that he lived in Pocahontas. And I was in uh, Walnut Ridge. That was the town, next town over. And, and uh, uh, he told me where he lived and what street he lived on. And on the corner there, I said, oh, I know where that is. That's only a few blocks from where I am there. And so I said, hey, can I come by and see you sometime? And he says, okay, yeah, you can come by and see me. Well, I couldn't talk to him there because I didn't have, you know, they, they, they don't let their salesman spend an hour with somebody unless they're talking about buying something, you know. And, and so anyway, uh, I had the preacher in the car now, and I said, hey, let's, let's go to, I know a guy over here. Let's go see him. So we went over there and went to his house. This guy's name was David Schneider. David Schneider is what his name was. I went to the door, knocked on the door, and David Schneider wasn't home, but his 16-year-old son was. And we, so we went in, and about 30 minutes later, David Schneider's son named Eric got saved. Praise the Lord, man. That was the first one that this preacher had seen saved in a long time. And then we went out and we led two more people that day to Christ. A lady and her 12-year-old son got saved that day. And, and he says, man, this is great. This is wonderful. And he was getting excited about building this church and so on. And so uh, then, then we, he, he went home and I went home. And, and God laid it upon my heart says, uh, on Saturday. He says, you need to go back down to David Schneider's house and see them. Well, David Schneider had seven kids, but three of them had already grown up and left home. So there were four kids in the house. And uh, David Schneider's wife got killed five years before this, but just five years ago in a car accident. And so he was all by himself trying to raise all these kids. So anyway, I go there on Saturday. God said, get over there. So I knocked on his door. And the only one home was David Schneider. All of his kids were not there. I thought, well, in this family, they only live in this house one person at a time. <laughs> and so 
we went in and, or I went in and about 30, 40 minutes later, David Schneider prayed and asked Jesus to save his soul. And so then we had made her, my wife and I had been working on grandma's stuff and getting it all taken care of and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, so we, uh, we had to uh, get her house emptied that next day. And we went to church, you know, and didn't get the house emptied. And this was a Monday now that all we had was Monday. And so we got up about five in the morning we worked all day long and now we got the house emptied and the house cleaned up and all of the stuff's in our trailer, that gray trailer that was sitting out there. Uh, her grandma's stuff's not in it right now, but it was that time. They, and, uh, and we got that uh, uh, trailer all filled up and then so my wife was going to follow me in the car and we were going to leave town. I was exhausted. I could hardly put one foot in front of another, front of the other one. My wife was twice as tired as she works twice as hard as I do, and I'm serious about that. And uh, uh, and she uh, she was exhausted, and so we get in the car. Melissa, she worked really hard that day too, and she was shot, and and whatever. So we get in the in the, she they get in the, uh, Melissa and I get in the RV, and my wife's in the car, and we have these two little two way radios that we can talk to each other, you know, while we're going down the road. My wife can say, hey, wake up, quit swerving, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and so anyway, we start out of town and God starts to speak to my heart. He says, so Roger Buttrell, you'll probably never be back to Pocahontas the rest of your life. And you're going to let David Schneider's family, the rest of them, go to hell. What kind of a Christian are you? And man, I was tired. I just wanted to pull into a Walmart parking lot and go to sleep in our motorhome, not in the parking lot. <laughs> and so, so anyway, uh, I said, okay, Lord. And I says to my wife, I said, sweetheart, pull into the price shopper parking lot. It was an empty grocery store and their parking lot was there. And we pulled into there and I got my wife and daughter a hamburger there and, uh, at a place. And then I said, I've got to go see David Schneider and his family. And so I went over there and knocked on the door, and the whole family was home. Man, this was great. So I went in and sat down, and David Schneider was sitting there, and his kids sitting here, and, and there was, uh, there was uh, Michael and Edward and Camille. And about 30 minutes later, all three of those kids prayed and asked Jesus to save them. And so, you know, it's interesting that in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, when I started that church, the first person that I recall leading to Christ in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, was a young teenage boy named David Schneider. Isn't that interesting? And I lead this guy in Pocahontas named David Schneider to the Lord. But I didn't want to go because I was tired. But the Holy Spirit said, do it. Get over there, see him. There's five people in that family going to heaven now Amen. that weren't going to heaven before. Plus another lady and her son. But you've got to be soul conscious. Do you know the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. That means that he works the same way today that he worked back in those days. And when you are out visiting or you're out 
shopping or you're out to the auto parts store or you're out getting gas in your car or you're out just staying away from the house for an hour or whatever you're doing. Why don't you say, Lord, somebody in Lawrence here is looking for you, but I don't have any idea who in the world it is, Lord. But if you lead them by my path or lead me by their path, then Lord, all you gotta do is whisper in my ear, that's the one, talk to them. Then you will be amazed the first time or two for sure. I was driving by a house one day when I'd, I'd been out soul winning already and, and the Holy Spirit of God said, stop at that house. And I kind of said, Lord, I've never been to that house before. He said, you heard me. I'd already driven by it now. I said, okay. So I turn around, drive back, park in the driveway, go up to the house, knock on the door. The lady answers the door and I said, ma'am, you don't know me and I don't know you. I've never seen you before in my life. I said, but I'm a preacher and I was driving by here just a minute ago and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart and he said, stop at this house. I said, ma'am, are you having problems? And right then she just broke down bawling like a baby. And right there at the door, a few minutes later, she prayed and asked Jesus into her heart to be her savior. You know, if you just listen to the Holy Spirit, learn to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know, we go by appearance. I had a bunch of kids, uh, I was in El Paso, Texas and had soul winning on Saturday and we had about 25 or so people that were going soul winning that morning. And, and so we divided, I said, we're gonna do it different today. When we go out, I want you to talk to the first person you see. And so I divided them up two by two and they all went out soul winning and there was one teenage boy that was left with me. So we got in the car and we started and we drove down three or four streets and, and all of a sudden I turned a corner and there was a guy standing by the back of his car about halfway down that block. The problem was he looked like the president of the Hells Angels. I mean, he had on one of those t-shirts that you could see through and he had tattoos from his neck all the way to his waist. His arms were all tattooed up and so on. Had big old long hair down past his shoulders. Had, had a scraggly beard and so on. And I thought, that guy, all you gotta do is stop your car and he'll kill you. You know, and I said, I, I, I said Lord, don't let my teenager see that guy. And we get about another 10 feet and he says, hey, there's a guy right there. And I thought, oh man. And so we pull up there and stop the car, get out. I said, Lord, I guess I'm ready to die for you. <laughs> and start over toward that, that Hell's Angels guy. And I said, howdy neighbor. He turns around and he was just a great big giant teddy bear. He was just as nice and kind and sweet as could be. Do you know what? I look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. 
We need to stop looking on the outward appearance and start paying attention to the Holy Spirit of God. That's a soul for whom Jesus died. Philip led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, but Andrew, he brought his brother, the Apostle Peter, to Christ. How would you like to win the next Apostle Peter to Christ? You could. Peter led Cornelius and his family to the Lord, but he didn't even want to talk to Cornelius. God had to talk him into it. He went over there, led Cornelius to the Lord. <coughs> Paul led Lydia, <coughs> the Philippian jailer, and Timothy to Christ. Jesus led the woman at the well, and Nicodemus, and Zacchaeus, and multitudes of others to the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> God will put people in your way for you to win to Christ if you'll do it. Anybody could have won those people I've told you about to Christ. I had just finished a revival in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, uh, there, and uh, at Brother Harrison's church there. And I was in the RV, and I was by myself. I don't remember why my wife wasn't with me that time, but my wife and Melissa weren't with me. And I left town, and about when you, when you have a big motor home like me, uh, about once a year, the fuel filter gets stopped up, and then it won't go but about 30 miles an hour. And this just happened to be, as I was leaving Manitowoc, the fuel filter was, stop, it was only going about 30, at the most 35, and I thought, oh, that fuel filter stopped up again. I'm gonna have to change it. Well, I learned that I needed to take an extra one with me, so I had one in the, in the uh, trailer, and so I, got, I babied it till I got to Sheboygan, Wisconsin, the same place I started that church in 1972. I pulled into a gas station that was all lit up, and uh, got out, went in and told the lady, I said, hey, listen, I've got to change a fuel filter on this RV, and so I just wanted to let you know what I was doing out there, and so I went back out, started changing the fuel filter. Two o'clock in the morning it was, and all of a sudden, there was a young man in his 20s pushing a motor scooter at two o'clock in the morning, pushing it straight toward my RV. He gets right up there and he said, my motor scooter won't start. Could you give me a jump? And I thought of asking him, what in the world are you doing out two in the morning anyway? But I said, sure, let me finish this uh, fuel filter and wash my hands up and then I'll help you. Just a few minutes later, started talking to him. And one of the easiest guys that I've ever led to the Lord in my life. It's almost like he came over and said, hey, tell me how to get saved. He, that's not exactly how it happened, but it was close to that. And boy, one of the easiest guys that I've ever led, just, just talked to him about the Lord. And he said, wouldn't you like, he said, oh, I sure want that. I'd sure like to get saved. And he prayed and asked Jesus into his heart to save his soul, take him to heaven when he died. And then after he got saved, I said, well, let's see if we can get your motorcycler uh, started. And I went over there and I shook it. And I heard something click. So I took the key and started right up. Didn't even need a jump. What happened, the starter uh, cog was jammed on the flywheel and it just wouldn't turn. And whenever I jerked it, it knocked it loose and started right up. He didn't need a jump, but God knew he needed saved. And so God brought him right over there where there was a soul winner, somebody that could talk to him. And listen, folks, if you'll get serious about winning souls to Christ, God will lead people to you like that over and over and over and over again. And folks, 
It's not because I'm a great soul winner. I'm serious about that. Because God just put, keeps putting them in my way. Hey, go talk to that guy. Well, Lord, you know, I got a lot of stuff to do today. You heard me? Go talk to that guy. And so I go talk to him and he gets saved. Um, I had a preacher when I was a teenager that uh, was a soul winner. He was a Southern Baptist preacher in Brunswick, Missouri, just about 90 miles straight east of Kansas City on Highway 24 is Brunswick. And uh, his name was Carl Rither. And he would call me up about every week and ask me to go soul winning with him. And so I, okay, I didn't know how to say no to the preacher. And so I just, okay. And so he would come by and pick me up and we go soul winning. This particular day, he wanted to go see Jimmy Swan's mom and dad. Jimmy Swan was a young boy that the same age as me that I went to school with. And so we drove about 15 miles out into the country to Jimmy Swan's house. Went up to the door, knocked on the door, and Mrs. Swan came to the door. And uh, as we were talking to her, uh, pretty soon the preacher said, well, is your husband around? We'd like to talk to him. And she said, well, he's out in the barn, but you better not go out there. And he said, oh, that's okay. We'll just go out there and say hi to him. She says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I don't think you ought to go out there and talk to him. He says, oh, that's okay. We'll be all right. He turned around, and I just followed the preacher. We went out to the barn to see Mr. Swan. We get in there. He is scooping hay and manure with a pitchfork. And we walk up there and my preacher starts talking to him. He talks about, oh, 30 seconds to a minute. And then Mr. Swan says, well, you've said enough. You can leave. And then uh, Carl Ryder says, well, we just want to tell you how to get to heaven. And we just don't want you to go to hell. And <coughs> Mr. Swan turns around with the pitchfork and jabs my preacher right in the stomach with the pitchfork. I told you to get out of here. Now the preacher's stomach's bleeding. And I think, hey, preacher, let's go ahead and do what he says. Let's get out of here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, preacher, he didn't mind dying for the Lord, but I don't know that I was quite ready to do that. But he talked to him another minute or so, and then we turned around, we left. On the way to, to town, my preacher, Carl Ryther, he said, Roger, don't you tell anybody about this. He said, because we want his son, Jimmy Swan, to get saved. And if this gets around that Jimmy Swan's dad did this to me, then they'll make fun of Jimmy Swan and we may never be able to lead Jimmy Swan to Christ. I says, oh, okay. So we stopped at, a, at a, an emergency place on the way to town. He goes in, he gets it all bandaged up and so on and gets a tetanus shot and stuff. But he was willing to die to lead Jimmy Swan's dad to Christ. I thought, man, he was a preacher. But Nobody's jabbed you in the stomach with a pitchfork. Have you ever shed a tear for a lost person? God ever break your heart while you're talking to somebody about the Lord? Do you know if in your private prayers, if you say, God, 
I want to win somebody to you tomorrow. The Lord, would you break my heart so I could win them? God, give me tears so that I could obey that verse and go forth weeping, bearing precious seed. Oh, God, do something to me. And if you mean that prayer, then God will answer that prayer and you'll go out and you start talking to somebody and you'll be able to win them to Christ. I told this maybe a story here years ago, not sure, but I want to close with this illustration. And it's not even midnight. Um, I went to Pine Bluff, Arkansas in 1991 to pastor a church there. I was there 10 years. But right after I got there, there was a, a man in my church named Tally, T-A-L-L-E-Y. And he came to me and he said, Preacher, could you go see my brother and try to win him to Christ for me? And I said, sure, we can do that. He says, oh, I, by the way, I need to tell you that the last preacher that was here, I took him over to see my brother. And all my brother did was as soon as he found out it was a preacher, he slammed the door in his face. I said, oh, okay. Well, when do you want to go see him? And he says, oh, I need to tell you also, preacher, that the preacher that was before that preacher, I asked him to go see my brother too. And when we got there, my brother slammed the door in his face too. So I thought, so you want me to go over there so he'll slam the door in my face? And I said, okay, when do you want to go see him? And he said, in a, we, we set a date for two weeks from then. And so in the meantime, I got on my knees in my office the next few days and to pray. And I said, God, I'm going to go over and see Mr. Swan, or Mr. Tally's, Tally's brother. And uh, Lord, nobody's ever been able to get the gospel to him because he's not, he's not saved. He's on his way to hell. And Lord, if he doesn't ever get the gospel, he'll go to hell. And God, you've got to do something. I don't know what you've got to do, Lord, but help me some way to get the gospel to him. And uh, I prayed that way several times between then and the, next, and the time that the date came. And we got the, got the time to go. And we got in the car and I said, now, Mr. Talley, don't you say a word. I do all the talking. If you knew Mr. Talley, you knew you'd had to say that, you know, and so on. And so, so we started over to his house and we got there to his house and it was a quadruplex. There were two apartments on the downstairs and two upstairs and one of these wooden stair steps on both sides. And on the left-hand side at the top is where Mr. Talley's brother lived. And so we get out and Mr. Talley's following me up there and I'm praying in my heart. I said, Lord, you got to do something. I don't know what's going to happen here. You got to do something. And we get up to the door and I just started to knock on the door and all of a sudden, God broke my heart. And man, tears just started running down my face. And I knock on the door and Mr. Talley's brother opens the door and I'm standing there weeping. Hadn't even said a word yet. And I, I couldn't hardly talk. I said, we got we to gotta talk to you. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but it was something like that. 
And he says, well, come on in. That's further than anybody else had ever gotten. And so we walked in the door and he, uh, we sat down at his dining room table. About 20 or 30 minutes later, Mr. Talley's brother prayed and said, God, I'm a wicked sinner and I want you to come into my heart and save my soul. Forgive me of all my sins and come into my heart today. What was the difference between me going there and the other preachers going there? There, Probably not a bit except that God broke my heart. Now, if we would just obey the scripture, he that goeth forth and weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You want to win your mama to Christ? Let God break your heart. You want to win your daddy to Christ? Let God break your heart. You want to win your uncle or your aunt or your neighbor or your friend or your cousin or whoever it is to the Lord? Let God break your heart. If you don't, let them go to hell then. You don't care. Can we have every head bowed and every eye closed for a minute? Lord Jesus.